And so the title of, of our conversation today is How Sinners Win. How Sinners Win. So a show of hands, any sinners in the house today? That's good. That's, all right, so am I. I'm joining you on that. And so today's conversation hopefully will be uh, a conversation that has relevance to all of us. And so I'm going to start reading here in Luke chapter 18 at verse 9. And if you have a Bible or you want to just watch on the screen, that's fine too. Follow along as we read. And as always, try to picture the scene in your mind. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you God that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, would you write this down, point number one in your app notes? When it comes to prayer, God prioritizes humble or humility over haughtiness. When it comes to prayer, God values, he prioritizes humility over haughtiness. You know, here in this Bible story that Jesus tells, he portrays two men who are both at the temple for what seems to be the same reason, right? Both men are there to do what? They're there to pray. One man, we're told, is a Pharisee. A Pharisee, as most of you know, in Jesus' day was positionally viewed as sort of what we would call spiritually elite. Pharisees were educated. They had demonstrated this incredible capacity, this tremendous proclivity to know the biblical scriptures. In Jesus' day, Pharisees were respected and highly esteemed. In fact, this man was likely known among the people, even in the temple, to be a spiritual guide and a teacher. He would be what we might call a pillar of the church. The second man in Jesus' story, we're told, is a tax collector. But unlike this honest Jewish Pharisee, tax collectors were widely known in their community as being dishonest individuals. They were individuals who got rich by cheating and overtaxing the people. And for this reason, as most of you know, tax collectors in Jesus' day and age, and maybe even still to this day, were universally despised and disrespected. On the sin chart, the Pharisee and the tax collector were on opposite ends. So one would think that if Jesus was going to encourage his followers to emulate, to pattern their own prayer life after one of these individuals, 
that the Pharisee is the obvious choice, is he not? But that's not the case, is it? You see, although this tax collector was likely the bigger sinner of the two, Jesus preached that God, our Heavenly Father, if he had to choose which one, when he prayed, who he was going to listen to, it was going to be the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Why? Why? Because what Jesus saw in the tax collector, which he didn't see in this Pharisee, was a humble heart. And in God's eyes, Jesus says that God the Father prioritizes humility over haughtiness. Humility trumps haughtiness every day of the week. Jesus in his Bible story describes this church scene where this tax collector, we're told, stands at a distance far away from the altar when he prays not even daring to sort of lift up his eyes to heaven. His heart is humble. His actions are respectful. No one needed to remind the tax collector of his sin sins. And so with his honest, self-reflective, penitent heart, the man prayed. The Pharisee? Well, he also prayed, didn't he? Although he too was a sinner, his heart from Jesus' perspective, however, was different from the, than the tax collector. This Pharisee demonstrated what we might call a self-righteous, haughty heart. He's what we might call a guy with a log in his own eye who's focusing on the speck of dust in someone else's eye. Look at verse 11. Let's read it. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. He sounds like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? But what's absent in his prayer? The answer? Humility. Gratefulness. It also appears that this Pharisee didn't go to pray to God, but rather it seems like he went to the temple to pray with himself. Big difference. I once read about an American cynic who described a preacher's prayer that he had heard as the most eloquent prayer ever offered to a Boston audience. The most eloquent prayer he had ever heard prayed to a Boston audience. In the cynic's mind, this preacher offered a prayer not to God, but for the entertainment and the applause of the people. Have you ever heard a prayer like that? More importantly, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You know, brothers and sisters, when you and I pray in public settings, for those of you who might be in a Bible study, for example, or maybe when you're asked to pray out loud at a meal, when you pray to whom and for whom are you praying? Are you praying for the ear of God or for the ear of the people around you? 
know, sometimes I'll ask a person to pray out loud and they'll say, Pastor Mike, uh, please don't ask me to pray. I can't, I can't pray. I'm not a good prayer. And inside I laugh a little bit. You know why? I think, I think, here's why. I think when we lay our heart before God openly and honestly, after we're done praying, I don't think God says, hmm, well that prayer sucked. <laughs> Are you with me? Not if our, our heart is honest. You know, Kirk says it all the time. You ever go to a, a prayer group and people pray and you go, well that prayer, that was terrible prayer. No. Friends, Jesus wants his listeners to know, he wants you and me to know that God our Heavenly Father prioritizes humility over haughtiness. So when you pray, just pray. Just talk to God like you would talk to a friend. I love it when, when a new believer, a new Christian starts to pray. Their prayers are so authentic and kind of chunky and not very smooth and eloquent. And it's just real. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so when you and I, brothers and sisters, if God prioritizes, our Heavenly Father prioritizes humility over haughtiness, when you and I go into the throne room of God and we bear our hearts with transparency, I think this is what's happening up in the courts of heaven. I think God and his heavenly courts are plotting. Why? Because God, Jesus says, prioritizes humility over haughtiness. So here's something I'd like you to think about this upcoming week. If we had time to discuss it together uh, today, I probably would have you do that. But just for sake of conversation, I would love for you to spend some time thinking about and answering this question. How do you differentiate between self-respect and self-importance? Do you? Is there a difference between self-respect and self-importance? You know, I think it's one thing to think highly of ourselves, And I would propose that you should think highly of yourself because the Bible tells us that we're made in the image of God. You are special. That being said, you and I put our pants on the same way that our enemy puts their pants on, which is how? One leg at a time, right? You know, where this Pharisee in Jesus' story got it wrong was that he started thinking that he was better than other people. That he was better than other sinners. You know, here in Orange County, California, there's a lot of money. Would you agree with that? You know, we live in probably one of the wealthiest regions in, in the country. And you've heard me preach many times before that the Bible teaches there's nothing wrong or sinful about working hard to buy nice things. There's nothing sinful about owning a nice home or wearing fine jewelry or even, tra even traveling to luxurious places. God's not anti-wealth. But what God is anti is that when you and I start thinking that we're better than others because maybe we can enjoy those things. Maybe you have more than one car or one motorcycle in your garage. Does that make you better than the other person? Not in God's eyes. 
You know, it's one thing to strive to live a righteous life like this Pharisee in our Bible story. In fact, I think Jesus would commend you and me if we were to emulate and to practice some of the spiritual habits that this Pharisee practiced like fasting and tithing and reading our Bible every day. All of which will help us to become and experience a, a better and healthy life. But brothers and sisters, don't think you're better than others because you do those things. The Bible writer of the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 12, reminds us that haughtiness goes before destruction, but humility precedes honor. God, our Heavenly Father, prioritizes humility over haughtiness. You know, I submit that having self-respect is good and admirable. But be on guard, brothers and sisters, against adopting an attitude of self-importance. Are you with me? You know, we read here in this Bible story that God does not like it when we place ourselves on a higher plateau than others. And that's a danger that all Christians face. You know, once you become, once you realize that God's loved you and, and, and Jesus forgiven, has given, forgiven your sins and you give your heart to him, you start to grow and to develop. And it's not uncommon for people to forget how bad they used to be. And so it's easy for us to get frustrated with, with people who, who do certain things that truth be told, we probably used to do too. And so we become judgmental and we become high and mighty, mighty and God's going, don't do that. Don't be that way. And so let's say a prayer together. Let's say a, a humility prayer together. So put your hands out in front of you. Kind of take a deep breath in, kind of put our heart and our mind in a, a good place. Now pray this, say, Heavenly Father, please forgive me when I think that I'm better than others. Please help me to be humble, not arrogant, not haughty. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Good. Point number two. I think a second truth that Jesus emphasizes here in this Bible story that he tells is the truth that God prioritizes remorse over rank. God our Heavenly Father prioritizes remorse over rank. You know, we read here in verse 14 that this tax collector felt so convicted by his life choices that he couldn't even lift his eyes, right, we're told, up to heaven. He felt like he didn't deserve mercy from God. And yet, don't miss this, to his credit, he sought mercy and forgiveness from God, didn't he? Jesus tells us that this tax collector beat his chest, which in sort of a business or biblical times, it was this gesture of sorrow. You know, I've heard it said that the gate of heaven, and this is really cool, I've heard, that, I've heard it said that the gate of heaven is so low, the gate of heaven is so low that the only way to enter it is on your knees. As we see here illustrated in this tax collector's actions. You know, brothers and sisters, Jesus encourages us to learn from this tax collector. Yes, it's true that God hates sin. 
Yes, it's true that God's holiness cannot be in the same orb as sin. That being said, God loves a sinner and he won't push you or me away. That's not his nature. You know, because of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, we can break bread figuratively, right, with God our Heavenly Father. So don't ever let the devil whisper in your ear that your sin can't keep you, that, that your sin can keep God away from you. You ever hear those whispers? You ever dwell on things that may be past mistakes or past choices you made that you feel bad about and the devil goes, oh, if you were a good Christian, you wouldn't have done that. Don't listen to that stuff. Because Jesus reminds us here that Jesus, that God our Heavenly Father values remorse over rank. And maybe that's a message that some of you need to hear today. So what does this mean practically for you and for me? It means that with God's help, you and I need to guard our heart against comparison. We must be wary of using other people as the matrix or the standard for determining our holiness, which is what the Pharisee was doing here. Rather, if you're going to compare yourself to others, you know who you and I should compare ourselves to? Jesus. And how do you, who do you think is going to win that comparison? The question is not, am I as good as my fellow neighbor or am I better than my fellow neighbor? The question is, am I as good as God? You know, yesterday, Kirk Bauermeister and I were in Palm Springs to watch Jake Knapp compete on the PGA Tour. Many of you know Jake Knapp. He's a local kid. He graduated from Estancia High School. Kirk was his principal at T. Winkle Middle School and then at Estancia. And so anytime Kirk and Jake are together, Kirk will always get a hug. The rest of us will get a high five or a handshake or whatever. Uh, they have a special relationship. And so we were out in, 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 in Palm Springs to watch, on, watch and encourage Jake. And by the way, he hit an albatross on one of the, on a hole number five. An albatross is an amazing feat. It's almost harder than a hole in one. He was like 200, two football fields away. And I turned to my buddy and I said, an albatross would be a good time right now. And so I pulled out my camera and I got it on camera. It's so cool. Uh, it's, it's an amazing feat. Anyways, for those of you golfers, you know what I'm talking about. But years ago, Jake had this, this interview with this reporter. And this reporter asked Jake the question, so who do you compare yourself to as a golfer? Who are you trying to emulate your game after, you know, to become like? You know what Jake's response was? myself. He says, I'm competing against myself. I don't really try to, it doesn't really bother me how other people are doing. He says, I'm trying to just be the best person that, that I'm supposed to be. And I think that really emulates and, 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 and models for us what, what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look and focus on your own heart, Right? The Pharisee in our Bible story was comparing his spirituality against others whom he determined as a worse sinner than himself and thus he felt better about himself. You know what I'm talking about? But Jesus says that's not how God the Father evaluates people. Rather, God evaluates remorse over rank. He wants to know, are you humble? He doesn't care about your position. In fact, the higher you go in leadership or whatever, in holiness, you have more responsibility, not less. If anything, more is expected from you than those who have been given little. So let's pray another prayer, brothers and sisters, together. Again, hands open, heart open, wherever you might be, whatever place you might be at, on the sin 
scale factor, just pray this in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, please protect my heart from comparison. Please protect my heart from judging others as being worse than or better than myself. Now say this, Heavenly Father, I want to grow spiritually. That's the bottom line. So please help me to be more like Jesus. This is my prayer, my legacy prayer today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Good. Okay. Point number three. A final point for our conversation today regarding how sinners win is that God prioritizes honesty over activity. God prioritizes honesty over activity. You know, there's no question that everything that this Pharisee declared was true, right? He likely did excel in the spiritual discipline category. But Jesus wants his listeners to know, he wants you and me to know that acceptance before God cannot be achieved by good deeds. It can't be achieved by virtue or any amount of self-proclaimed righteousness. Rather, God prioritizes honesty over activity. You know, when we read the New Testament portion of the Bible, and I'm going to start to land the plane here. Many of the early Christians, they composed many of the teachings of the early, you know, the New Testament portion of the Bible. They were the early church Christians. Some of them lived with Jesus and, and walked with Jesus. And then others, you know, were, were saved by the message of, of Jesus. But many of these early church Christians, they, they wrote these things. And one of the guys was a name, by the name of Titus, which is a book, bears sort of the, the letter of his, his name. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He was an early apostle. And he says this. He says, God saved us. Not because of any righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And because of Jesus' act on the cross to wash away our sins. That's why God saves us. Titus reminds us that God the Father gives us new birth and new life through his Holy Spirit. That God, that, that's what's going to take care of our sin. God's activity, not our own. Which is why the starting place in our prayer relationship with God is always honesty. So when we before, go before God, you just say, God, I'm a sinner. Hands raised, right? I'm a sinner. I need you to save me from our sins. I need you to save me from my sins. The Apostle Paul, who was also an early church Christian, interestingly enough, he got saved from sort of his life as a Jewish Pharisee. So Paul too was a, a Pharisee, perhaps like this man in our, our Bible story. And Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that God saves you and me by, by his grace, his grace, not by our own works, right? He says that we're saved when we believe for our salvation, not by the things that we have done. He says salvation is a gift from God so that we don't boast about it. Oh, look at me or look at the things that I have done. No, Paul says that's not how we're, we're saved. It's by God's grace. It's by honesty before the king. The apostle Paul, Jesus' closest friend, wrote in 1 John chapter 1, Verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
forgiveness from sins, as most of you know, is because of Jesus' activity, not our own. And so on the count of three, let me hear you say out loud the phrase, that's good news. One, two, three. That's good news. How do sinners win? Well, we win when we approach God with humility, not haughtiness. We win when we talk to God from a posture of remorse, not rank. We win when we pray with honesty, not with a list of activities that we have done to somehow earn our salvation and worth. Friends, God loves you for who you are. And God wants you and me to be in relationship with him. So, love your neighbor as yourself. With God's help, try to avoid the act of comparison. You know, when you're driving in your nice car and you see a car that maybe isn't so nice, rather than go, oh, that's a look at that guy's car, just say, thank you, God, for the car you give me to drive. Thank you, God, for allowing me to eat at this nice place. Don't look down. Raise people up. We win. Brothers and sisters, when we pray the prayer with regularity, Jesus changed me. Changed my heart. Changed my attitude. Please change me. Now I close this. You heard me tell the story with that. When I first got married to Robin, I used to always say, God, please change Robin. <laughs> and God said, No, that's the wrong prayer. You need to say, Robin's got it together, Mike. You gotta pray, Gorge HB. A little marriage tip 101 right there. Right? So let's pray a final prayer together. Hands open, heart open, deep breath in. Just hold it for a second. Relax. Put yourself in a place of receptivity and humility and openness before God. He loves you. He's honored by the fact that you're tuning in today or you're here today. And so with open hands and open heart, just pray this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Even though I'm a sinner and unworthy of your mercy, thank you for forgiving me. And so today, Father, I invite you to continue to work in my life and transform me into the person that you want me to be. Please help me to be humble. Please help me to be grateful. Please help me to be a person who adds positivity to my world. This is my legacy prayer today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Brothers and sisters, those sinners, you still have work to do. I still have work to do. And with the help of God's Holy Spirit, He will empower us to be people of positivity. To step into places that are filled with discouragement and cynicism. And to just to bring a little joy and hope into this, this world. Generosity is a powerful thing. Sometimes not saying anything is the best thing to say. Are you with me? So recognize that you're sinners saved by grace. And if you're in a place today where you need a little bit more of God's grace, recognize that he's got plenty of it. He doesn't run out. God loves you and he loves me. And while 
That's true. He still invites us to continue to be world changers. So change your world this week. As you encounter people here, as you encounter people at your workplace, as you encounter people at the restaurants and grocery stores and on the freeways, be a person of positivity. Be a person of grace. Be a person of gratitude and humility. Would you stand, please? Put your palms open. Brothers and sisters, you, with God's help today and this week, will be a person of gratitude. Today, I bless you with positivity. That as you go, wherever you may go, that you will just bring God's love and light with you. That as you leave places, that God's love and light will stay there from behind to touch the people who follow you. Receive his love, receive his power, receive his spiritual authority today. I bless you, my brothers and sisters, in the name of God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you.